like I talked to my hairdresser about this. I was like, how many people tell you things that they don't tell anybody else in your life? And she's like, all the time. I was like, right. They're admitting their problems to you. You have no stake in the problem and you have no stake in the solution. You will not be a participant in what's happening. But either intuitively or intentionally, they know I've got to say this out loud because it, I got to see it. Like I got to hold the problem. But they're not saying it to somebody who's going to hold them accountable to actually fixing it. And I think that's a really important piece is you've got to say it out loud to somebody who cares. My husband and I had to say to each other, our marriage is not okay. This was not what I pictured. This sucks. And at the end of it, it's relieving because at least you can see it. And then it's like, what's the decision that you're going to make? In the case of the business, every single executive around that table had a choice to stay or leave. Want to be part of the shit show or not? And if you're going to leave, I'm not mad. That's a choice you get to make. If you're going to stay, this is what the work looks like. Welcome to Agency Breakthrough, where we bring you real gritty stories of agency operators who found the path to get past the plateau. Whether it's hitting on a playbook for massive growth, scaling profit margins, or just finding a way to have an agency and a life, we're here to share how they achieved it and laugh a little along the way. Presented by Zenpilot and ClickUp. And your hosts today are Jakob Greitzar and Gray McKenzie. Hello, 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 everyone. And welcome back to Agency Breakthrough. So good to have you with us here today. One person who's not here with us today is uh, co-host Gray McKenzie. Unfortunately, uh, he just doesn't have a voice to work with today, but that doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, but we'll soldier on through either way. And this will be me hosting with my guest today, Tiffany Souther, CEO at Element3, keynote speaker, podcast host. Tiffany, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's Monday morning. I'm feeling fresh and you know filled with energy and focus. So yeah, thanks for having me on this morning. No, yeah, amazing. And like, what do your mornings usually uh, look like? Do you have, you know, a routine you launch? Give me a glimpse into kind of what what the Tiffany life is like. Well, uh, we have four kids, and so mornings, and we're in school now, so mornings are very busy uh, and oh, yeah. uh, pretty structured. So uh, my husband and I both are pretty early risers. Um, we're both up a little after five. My oldest one is a swimmer, so she had to be at the pool at like 5.45. So he left with her at 5.30, took her to the gym or to the pool and then went to the gym. I left at 5.30, went to the gym. And then everybody's back at the house around 6.45. And uh, then we get everybody up and ready for school. Those, my older three go to school and then my youngest one stays home with the nanny. So uh, a lot okay. of, I don't know, getting everybody out of the house. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fun, but it takes a couple hours. <laughs> Okay, gotcha. I, I think if Gray were here, he would totally sympathize. He He's up quite early. I mean, I enjoy that, you know, working from kind of the Polish time zone that, you know, it's 5 a.m. Uh, Eastern and he's already up and answering my many, many Slack questions <laughs> since the morning. But I'm no stranger to 5 a.m. mornings myself with a two-year-old. He, mm. you know, <laughs> he gives us an opportunity to see all those sunrises <laughs> quite early. Yep. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, awesome. I don't well, like to be Tiffany, working at five AM. Yeah. I need that time to like just for myself. Um oh, yeah. otherwise it gets really hard. So I can take a kid to practice, but uh we use the like yellow the red lights to keep them in bed. My I have a three year old and if it's red, uh-huh. she can't get out of bed because I 
I don't want to see her yet. Oh, is that a thing? I've never heard of that. How, yeah. do, how yeah. does that work? Um, it's called Hatch is the one that we use. It's a sound machine. And then it also like has just like lights. Like it's an app that you can, it's connected to. And so you can put all different kinds of lights and sounds and music. But we just use it as a white noise machine and set it for um, 10 hours of red. I mean, she should probably have 12 hours of sleep, but all her sisters are a lot much older. So she goes to bed later than she should. So I set it for 10 hours and she has to stay in bed for 10 hours. And she knows if it's red, I have to stay in bed. And then at 10 hours, it goes off um, and it turns white or you can have it turn whatever color and then she can get out of bed. And then we do the same thing for her naps because she's kind of outgrowing them, but she needs just like time to be desensitized and be in bed for a little bit. So um, sometimes it's 45 minutes, sometimes it's an hour and a half, but yeah, she stays in bed. If she doesn't, she there's a consequence and she gets put back and they get it pretty fast. So. Wow. Okay. Well, yeah, that's great. Mom hack. This, this, uh, well, you know, usually at the end of uh, these agency breaks for episodes, we ask for like book recommendations, tool recommendations. This is already huge. I need to talk to my wife about this. Yeah. Uh, so, so thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad I asked. Well, speaking of the pod, let's let's get into it. So, Tiffany, I'm so glad to have you here today to share your you know your agency breakthrough story, and you know I. Of course, I, I looked through some of your stuff, listened to your uh, your EOS speech, for example, which honestly I thought was you know, excellent. As somebody who's kind of big into public speaking, I love the kind of the, the storytelling way you started it. Uh, quite emotional. So I don't know if that's exactly what we'll be covering today, uh, kind of coming into it fresh. But we'll go through the kind of the usual usual agency breakthrough formula, talking first about you know, element three, your agency, kind of what you're up to. Then going into the agency breakthrough story and, you know, like I already teased at the end, maybe a few more rapid fire recommendations from you. So let's start at the beginning uh, there, Tiffany. Tell us about, you know, your agency. How did that happen? What kind of scale state are you at right now? Paint a picture of, of what's today. Yeah, so my agency is called Element 3. And um, we are headquartered in Indianapolis. And I we are at almost 19 years, I think, which is pretty crazy. So my wow. story of getting into the business, I'm a small town kid and uh, went to college actually for business and finance and started out um, at Lilly, which is a big pharmaceutical company here in Indianapolis. They're actually the largest by market cap uh, in the world right now. Big pharmaceutical company. I thought, you know, I dreamed of the big city and having a big job and feeling important and, you know, working at a high rise and all the things that come with that. I thought that's what I okay. wanted. Did that for three years um, and I enjoyed it, but I realized I really love the environment of being able to make decisions and seeing really quickly the like the change cycle of like, were you right or were you wrong? Um, and in a big company for lots of good reasons, they don't give, you know, 20 somethings much decision and making authority. And so um, I'd, I'd grown up in an environment where my dad is an entrepreneur. He's done a lot of different crazy things. And so um, I like risk wasn't something I saw necessarily because I grew up around so much of it. I was it was like kind of in the background for me, uh, kind of fades into the landscape. And so I told um, my husband and I had been married for just a couple of months at that time, and I was like, I, I just I don't really feel like I feel like I could have the best day of my professional career um, at Lilly or sleep under my desk, and like the stock price was going to be exactly the same. So I'm really oh, driven by significance and um, 
just kind of realized I want to be in a place where I can have a lot more impact. Again, impact relatively speaking, but um, kind of see the the impact of my decisions and am I right or am I wrong? So uh, my dad and I bought a small little agency. My dad was the financial partner and I was the sweat equity partner. Mm. Um, and he never worked an hour in the business outside of, you know, giving me some, um, certainly advice along the way, but didn't, you know, didn't work in the business or with clients or anything like that. And so over the last almost 20 years, um, uh, the agency had like maybe four people at the time when we bought it. It was very small. It wasn't doing much. It wasn't worth much. And uh, now we have uh, almost 50 people. Um, and uh, we're one of the larger agencies in our market. We've got plans to continue growing. So um, today I'm the CEO. I have a president that runs the agency. Um, I'm 43. I think that's relevant only because I find a lot of times these leadership transitions happen when the founder is at a place where they're really tired. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so maybe that doesn't give the space to be as planful as maybe you could. And so, um, yeah, we can talk a little bit about that transition. I think that's been a big part of our story. Um, we have four kids. We have four girls, ages 14 to three. And um, mm. we are a two-career home. My husband has a gigantic job. Um, he's executive vice president for the nation's largest commercial vehicle dealership. Um, there oh. are 28 states. He travels about 40% of the time. And our kids are in sports and really busy. So, um, you know, we talked a little bit about me having a podcast. I'm really passionate about helping two career families make life sustainable because it can get to a place where um, everything is screaming uh, and nothing feels fun. <laughs> so um, we worked really hard at that. So that's kind of a little landscape of my life and the agency. Um, yeah. Okay. I have a few threads to pull on here. Well, first, would you be up to sharing, for example, revenue figures to give people you know, a sense of the scale a bit more? Oh, sure. Yeah. We're around 10 million in revenue. And uh, yeah, I think we're like 45 people, 43, something like that right now. You know, like it kind of changes. I haven't looked at that lately, but we're in that range from a headcount perspective. Um, Coming out of COVID, we got really strategic about um, uh, using freelance capacity more strategically to help us, you know, not staff up to our peak all the time. And that's been really, really helpful in maintaining margin and, um, you know, like the, I feel like the devil's kiss in this business is having to lay people off because you lose a big client. Um, and so really helping us just stabilize the core, that's been a really big part of our strategy over the last three years. And that's interesting. I'm living through that in a smaller scale myself, where previously, you know, at my previous company before Zen Pilot, uh, my answer to most problems were, okay, we need a new team member. Now I'm leaning more and more towards, you know, okay, we need a specialist. We don't need them full time. We just need to give them a few jobs and fill in this one piece of kind of the the marketing machine in in my case, because I'm content marketing manager at Zenpilot. So that's one thread I wanted to pull on a little bit more. Second, you know, people are bound to be finding out about Element 3 for the first time from this podcast. What would you like them to know about the agency in terms of what makes it unique? Is it a niche? Is it the way you do things? What would you say? Yeah, um, the clients we work for are um, executive leaders who have the imperative of growth. And so oftentimes, um, the business strategy is is mandating that they create growth and they either haven't figured out how to do that organically, they're beholden to a sales team that 
um, is kind of holding them hostage or beginning to kind of, I would say just like decay from a sense of like they're retiring and they don't know how to replace it in the same way. And so they're looking for marketing to be a more strategic part of the go-to-market strategy. They may have gotten a new funding source, so purchased by private equity or a new big cash infusion. Um, maybe a new leadership team, so the culture and the strategy is going to be changing, um, or a new market entry where there's a certain vertical or industry where they've really been, you know, numero uno, and they're trying to take a, you know, go into a new market that they're not as well known, and they're so used to that old playbook, they don't know how to like move into a new market. So those are the kinds of challenges that we're handed by our clients. Um, always a growth imperative. Always working with the broader uh, executive team. Um, we are really mid-market players. So think revenues of 50 to 500 million in revenue um, and EBITDA ranges of like probably five to 35 million in EBITDA. So that's kind of the like size of company we're working for. Uh, we have a few clients where we're like, they're publicly traded and we're working on like a pet project inside of the big company. But for the most part, we're a mid-market, high growth um, is who we work with. A lot of private equity backed companies. So that's who we work for. Oh, what makes us special? You know, I think the thing that makes us special is honestly our obsession over growth. Um, our, uh, our purpose as a company is to foster growth and people and business so that they can change the world. Well, when you mm-hmm. decide that growth is what you're going to be about, you have to have a real friend in pain um, uh. because growth is hard. Growth demands that you look at, in the mirror at exactly who you are. Growth demands that every single day that you get better. Growth demands um, that you're like pushing, but growth also demands rest. Like this is not a, you know, an environment where we don't also have fun and enjoy ourselves, but when you say that you're going to be about growth, it requires something of people that not everybody can bring to the table. Um, and so I think that's really the secret sauce in the water here at Element 3. Um, our employee net promoter score, we just did it about a month ago, is an 88. We're world-class and the people who want to work here, uh, we know how to create careers for them. Our average tenure is um, like four years, which is insane for an agency. Um, and we keep people a really long time. So as a result, our people are well-trained. We know how to work well together. People want to be here. Our culture is incredible. And so that is what allows us to do great work. Um, that's been the thing that has made our work where, I mean, it's not that we don't lose clients, but oftentimes it's because the, you know, private equity team sold the company or, you know, obviously leaders move on and bring in their own, uh, teams, but we really like, you know, we don't fumble the ball a lot, but it's because our obsession over our people, it's because our obsession over our culture. And because people are here a long time, we've, you know, we can train them and continue to help them in their careers. And it's a really, really exciting cycle. Okay, gotcha. Thank you. Well, that paints definitely a really clear picture of like how far Element 3 got. So, you know, now, I wanted to look at this from the perspective of kind of the, the journey to get here, you know, the ob- obstacles along the way, and get into the part that Agency Breakthrough is all about. So the story of, you know, what you had to overcome to, to get to that headcount, that revenue number, that reputation, that NPS score, and also making it all work with, uh, you know, the situation in, in the household, like you mentioned, two careers, four kids. Uh, let's get into that. So Tiffany, I wanted to ask you, you know, what was I, I'm 
I mean, I'm sure there must, there must have been more than one, but what's the breakthrough moment that stands out for you and for your agency? The, you know, the decision that changed everything or the one moment that put you on a different and better course, what was it that changed the trajectory for you and Element 3? Yeah, um, you know, in the EOS talk that you mentioned, I told a little bit, I'd say like more pregnated part of the story, but I, I think that in, t- in 2018, it was a really pivotal time for me in my life. Um, it was a pivotal moment in my time in my marriage, and it was a really pivotal season for the business. And um, I think all of us were tired. I was tired mm. in my life. You know, I'd been pushing really hard for about almost 15 years, giving the business everything that I had, thinking that that certainly had to have been, you know, had to be the right formula. Um, my husband and I, uh, didn't know how to prioritize ourselves. And, you know, we're both firstborns. We're both really high achieving. He's incredibly smart and talented. And so, you know, we'd gotten a habit of pursuing our individual success and not knowing what that looked like together anymore. Um, And the business, I bring a lot of energy and excitement to things, but I didn't really know how to build a business for um, long-term growth and sustainability. And I knew how to get people excited. I knew how to get people to want to work here. I knew how to sell clients. But when it came to putting together a playbook where, you know, things were lasting and they were scaling and there was structure and there were, you know, um, I don't know, job descriptions and all the things that were required yeah. when things start to stay, you know, they need to stabilize. You know, my talents were really starting to not be what the business needed. And I didn't know how to be anything different than what I was, which I'm a great salesperson. I'm great at creating culture. I'm great at big ideas and I'm great at starting things. Um, and I'm great at working hard. But I needed a more, a deeper complement of tools around me. And so, um, you know, I think that that was a moment where I had to decide what hard I was going to explore, either the hard of like rebuilding in place and rebuilding my marriage and, Rebuilding in a lot of ways, my you know relationship with myself. I had a lot of personal satisfaction from all the hard work that I was doing and the self sacrifice and how hard I was pushing myself and the hours that I was putting in. It was a big part of my relationship with myself, um, and I had to rebuild the business. So um, I think in that moment, I knew I had to start over, and I had the choice of starting over with what I had um, uh-huh. or starting over with something new. And pretending for a season that that was going to be easier, because sometimes a new marriage and a new company and like all you know all that just sounds easier. Like let me just get rid of everything that was and start over. And and so I think that was a real pivotal moment. And uh, I'm grateful that one of my I think just inborn character traits is loyalty. And so I think it's that that said, no, I'm not going to fail at this. I'm going to be good to my word, you know, to these people, to these clients, to this man that I married. Um, And I got a lot of hard work to do. Agency Breakthrough is brought to you by ClickUp. ClickUp is the number one productivity platform and fastest growing work management solution for agencies. ClickUp gives you an easy way to track all of your clients, projects, deliverables, tasks, and team capacity in one place. With ClickUp, your team will finally be fully aligned, 
and rolling in the same direction. Go to clickup.com, that's C-L-I-C-K-U-P.com to get started on the free forever plan. Okay, wow. Well, so it's not just one challenge that you were facing. It sounds like it was like a whole set of challenges all coming to a head at once. Before we move on, can you tell me more about like what was going through your head? What kind of thoughts were you having? And also, what were the stakes for you here? You know, what was at stake in that situation? Well, I think that the ultimate things that is at stake when you're an entrepreneur is your ego. Um, mm. You know, the rest of it is, you know, money certainly was at stake. You know, we had some debt in the business. We had a lease that we were going to have to figure out how to make good on. But like all that is like logistically solvable. You know, like, you know, filing for bankruptcy and being like, oh, crap, I have no money and I got to figure out how to pay these people back. Like that stuff sucks. But it's like ultimately, I think not probably what would have hurt me so bad. I think it was the ego of the failure. I think that it was um, um, realizing that signing a piece of paper and not being able to like make good on the money that I owed somebody like that's that's a credibility. And that's that that to me is really, really important. I think that's like the X factor of being able to do well, especially in a city where you're going to live for a long time. And so I think that stuff is, man, I mean, those are like really expensive prices that, you know, you have to pay. And I, I think that as I've gotten older, I realize that some people do start businesses and they do fail and they do restart and they are fine. But my, you know, early 30, mid 30 year old self, it felt like it was going to be a fatal failure. That sounds like, you know, at this point in in the story, the stakes are really high. So I'm really curious about how you proceeded from that point on. It sounds like, if it's fair to characterize it at, like that, that, you know, the challenges you were facing were not just in the business, but also, you know, some of it was in the kind of personal sphere. So where did you start untangling this? And when did things start to change? Well, um, you know, I kind of have this framework that I point to that for me has been a really important framework in creating change anywhere in my life. But I think it came from decoding what did I do when kind of everything was at stake for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And the first is vulnerability, a vulnerable admission of how bad is it really? Like how bad is it really? And I think that when you're going a thousand miles an hour, I think when you're when you have the self-identity of an achiever and somebody who's successful, for me, it was easier to keep track of the places where I was successful. And it was, nobody else was calling me on the places where I was failing. Um, and, you know, we were re- winning all kinds of awards. We were in the paper. People were like, oh, look at this young woman. You know, she's like building this business. And they were all cheering for me. But what they didn't know was like inside the business, it was not as financially healthy as people envisioned it. And it's like, I felt like I couldn't say that out loud because everybody was like, she's amazing. And I was like, well, what if I say I'm not amazing? What if I say something's wrong? Like, is that going to pop the ball, you know, pop the balloon and nobody's going to talk to me or everybody's going to think I'm stupid. So I think that um, a vulnerable admission of what thing, where things really are, and being able to like audibly speak that to somebody else is a really important part of the admission process. But that's the first step, like vulnerably. And I told my leadership team, this business will not be in existence 
in, I don't know, six months, 24 months, 36 months, it will not be in existence if we don't change something. And it's like really scary to be the, the leader that I was the president at the time. And like the person who's kind of supposed to have the answers, at least I felt like that, to say to them, if we don't make, like the course we're on is a crash and burn course. So now what? Like, what do we do? Um, so that was a big deal to say that out loud. And related to that, two questions then. So I, I'm picturing this moment. I was about to ask, like, who did you like talk to first? Uh, you know, when you were starting to become more vulnerable, you mentioned your leadership team. Two things I'm curious about here then. Are you willing to zoom in a little bit more about kind of the issues you told them about, what your agency was grappling with? And the second question yeah. is going to be about their reaction. But let's talk about, you know, first a little bit about kind of the issues. What, what were they? Yeah, I mean, the issues, um, I mean, how they were presenting themselves in the business was that we had a client churn, a client churn rate that was like not sustainable. You know, we were mm. about half of our business was churning every year, not in a project heavy shop. Like we were losing clients because our work was not good. Um, our culture was really suffering. We were losing good talent and we were losing good talent because they weren't put on work that they felt successful at. You know, we were promising timelines that weren't effective or possible. We were under-resourcing things. We were um, undisciplined in our processes. And so if you weren't like a unicorn willing to work whenever the work was demanding you work, it was really hard. Um, and they weren't owners in the business. And so they weren't willing to like put them, subject themselves to as much pain as I was. And that ended up being good. That was a favorable thing for the business. They were like, look, this is not an environment where we're going to be successful. So we were losing clients. We were losing top talent. Um, uh, the business was not making the money that it should have been making for the risk I was taking, for the work we were doing, for the revenue level that we were at. You know, we talked kind of beforehand. I was like, I kind of thought a new person was going to solve every problem. And that was not the case. The business was getting too complex. So those were like the things that were happening inside the business. Okay, so I know more about the issues. Now tell me about the reaction from the leadership team. Was it what you thought it would be or was it different? No, I, I think there is a, um, there's a freedom that comes when everybody can see the problem together. And there's ah. a freedom that comes in saying, oh, if we don't ignore it, now we have some control over maybe having a chance to solve it. But if we nobody's, if it's unacknowledged, if it's not agreed upon, if it's not named, like nobody has the task of saying like, fix this thing. And so that's why like being vulnerable and articulating it to somebody who actually has consequence in the problem is a really important step. I mean, think about this, Kuba. Too often, like I talked to my hairdresser about this. I was like, how many people tell you things that they don't tell anybody else in your life? And she's like, all the time. I was like, right. They're uh -huh. admitting their problems to you where you have, you, the hairdresser, you have no stake in the problem and you have no stake in the solution. Like you are, you will not be a participant in what's happening, but either intuitively or intentionally, they know I've got to say this out loud because it, I got to see it. Like I got to hold the problem, but they're not saying it to somebody who's going to hold them accountable to actually fixing it. And I think that's a really important piece is you've got to say it out loud to somebody who cares. My husband and I had to say to each other, our marriage is not okay. This is not what I pictured. When my, you know, 22-year-old self was laying in bed picturing what it was going to be like to be married, this was not what I pictured. 
this sucks. This sucks so bad. Like, I don't like this at all. And if I would have said that to my girlfriends, I mean, what are they going to do? If I would have said that to my hairdresser, what are they going to, like, what's she going to do? You have to say it to the person who actually has some, like, connection to investment in the problem being solved. Otherwise, it, like, doesn't matter. And it's like, I don't know. It's like, that's not the place to say it. I'm picturing that moment. And honestly, just imagining it feels extremely scary, (laughs) whether in the business context or, you know, in the relationship context. I'm I'm picturing this and I'm imagining, I'm I'm feeling fear, trepidation, hesitation. How did you work through that to actually say, talk about the problem to the person, you know, who's involved in the stakes? Well, I think for me, I'm like, well, what sucks more? The thing happening and me having no control Uh over changing the direction or saying it out loud and having like some chance of saving it, you know, like, I don't know, but I'm definitely not going to have a shot if I don't admit it. So I think I kind of like get myself over the hump by just like getting pissed off. Like, I don't want, this is stupid. Like, I'm not going to be a chicken. And I I just like kind of say that to myself, like, don't be a chicken. Like, yeah, this is hard. Well, you know who fails? People who don't do hard things. That's who fails. And so I... I'm like, that's not who I am. I'm willing to do hard things. You know what? If success was simple, everybody would get there. It's not. It's going to require hard things of me. And this is a hard thing. Like, buck up, buttercup. And I just kind of like give myself a pep talk. And on the front end of it, it's very scary. And at the end of it, it's relieving because at least you can see it. Like, at least you're like, oh, yes, we agree. This is the problem. So now we have a choice to make which is like, are we going to actually make a new decision? And that's where it goes from there is like it's vulnerability and admission of it, an articulation of the problem, like admitting it, owning it, whatever needs to happen. And then it's like, what's the decision that you're going to make? Like in the case of the business, it was like, okay, every single executive around that table had a choice to stay or leave. That's like decision number one. Like you want to be part of the, you know, want to be part of the shit show or not? Like, you know what I mean? Like you're stay or leave. We've admitted the problem. We know how big and scary it is. Decision number one is stay or leave. And if you're going to leave, I'm not mad. That's a choice you get to make. If you're going to stay, this is what the work looks like, you know? And so then it becomes about new decisions. And so, you know, we talked about the EOS conference that I spoke at, saying yes to EOS and finding some type of operating system that we went all in. That was a decision. I was like, I will literally, I was willing to lose the most talented person on my team. Like, I didn't care who you were. If you thought you were better than EOS, you were not going to work here. It just like had to be. It was like, this is something we're doing. If we knew what to do, we'd already be doing it. We did not have good systems in the business. We did not have communication hygiene. We did not, like, I was not getting the results that I needed in the business. If somebody thought they were smarter than the system, I love you. You just can't be here, you know, um, because I wasn't going to run two. I wasn't going to run two programs. We're going to run one program. Agency breakthrough is brought to you by Zen Pilot. Zen Pilot is ClickUp's number one solutions partner, helping agencies get maximum value from ClickUp as quickly as possible. We've helped over three thousand agencies get work done faster and better, and with more visibility. And we do that by identifying your operational bottlenecks, crafting the perfect work management system for your needs, 
and training your team on how to use it consistently. We also have a library of over 200 battle-tested agency processes and SOP templates that you can leverage immediately when you start working with us. Go to zenpilot.com, that's Z-E-N-P-I-L-O-T.com, book a call with us, and get on the path to better productivity and bigger profits. Can you say just a few more words about what made you... It wasn't just the idea of we need to commit to a process and EOS is our pick. Was there something specifically about EOS that made you so set on it you were willing to get to let talent go if they weren't willing to get on board with it? I have a belief that people spend uh, 90 ounces of energy on deciding and 10 ounces of energy on uh, implementing. Mm -hmm. So... You know, go out and show, like. There's a lot of operating systems. You know, there's 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 more than EOS. So you can spend a bunch of time if you want to comparing them, figuring out which one is better, what meeting agenda do you like, like what framework. Like, I just don't care. Pick one. I'll just beat you because I'm going to be the best at one. Think about like marketing technology. There's a million. Yes, some are better suited than others, but for most people, they don't need the 1% of technology, you know, of like of a technical difference. Most people just don't use what they have well. Think about diets. There's a lot that work. People just don't stick with it. They're really crappy at compliance. Yeah, that, that's so funny. I was listening about something to that effect. Uh, I was listening to a YouTube video actually about that. And it was the concept of adherence, you know? And the guy basically said, you know, Pick whichever diet. He spent 60 seconds on it. We're going to spend the next 39 minutes on motivation, inspiration, habits, on how to actually stick to it because that actually makes uh, makes a difference. So so funny that you mentioned that. It, it totally tracks here. So is it the case of like others are 90 ounces decision, 10 ounces execution, and you want to flip that, change that? Totally. I'm like, look, we're going to put we're going to put 10 ounces of energy into the decision. I mean, I had been around EOS for a little bit. I knew what their value proposition was. I knew what their promise was to entrepreneurs that to, you know, essentially allow you to live life on your terms, to make the money that you deserve from your business. And I was like, well, if I knew how to do all that stuff, I would already have it. I don't know how to do that stuff. So let's do this. And I think people make casseroles. They like say, I like this tool from this thing. I like this tool from this thing. I like this tool from this thing. It's like, oh my word. Now you think you're smarter than the whole thing. Like, that's amazing. Like, I, again, my personality is like, you know what? We're going to pick it. We're going to go. And we're going to be the best. And we're going to implement it all the way. Like my trainer, I lived with him. And he's like, you know, what workout, what, what, what exercises do you want to do? And I was like, I don't care. I want the exercises that are required for the outcome that I want. Don't ask me what exercises I like. That's a silly question. Tell me what aligns with what I want out of this and I'll do whatever. So as long as it's not hurting my body, you know? So, yeah. Um, yeah, and we just, we executed really, really, really well. And as a result, we have an amazing company. Like I told you, we have an amazing culture and we had the, the, the discipline. I'd love, maybe you can share that uh, YouTube video with me that you just talked about. But the third step is vulnerability, a vulnerable admission of like, what is the problem? The second is a very clear decision. 
And like I said, I we are implementing EOS. I do not care if the most talented person on my company in my company says that they don't want to comply. I'm choosing EOS over that because I know any deviation from the plan starts to just like get a bigger and bigger and bigger impact as time goes on. So that is a decision. People make wimpy decisions. And I think that's a really big problem when you're in a crisis. You talk about agency breakthrough. Like if you're at a crappy spot and you can't figure out how to get out of it, like look at the quality of your decision. Are you very, very clear on what you've decided? And is it clearly articulated? Because then the rest of the job is just managing against that decision. The discipline required. What does it mean if that is the choice I'm making? What does that require? Yeah, I I actually was listening to your talk and I have just one note and it fits perfectly with what you're talking about here today. One thing you said, I think it was during the EOS talk is one of the things we massively undervalue in decisions is the change management required after the decision. Tell me a little bit about that. You know, somebody in a similar situation, you know, they, they've made the decision and, you know, communicated it once, but then there's this kind of, there's pushback, there's this kind of, I will almost call it like attrition of the decision. Okay, well, CEO said that, but do they mean it? Are they going to push for it? Are they going to fight for it? Or is it going to fizzle out? Tell me about the change management piece of it. You know, do you have any tips on how to actually make that change stick? Yeah, I'll first start with a framework that I use when I'm communicating change um, that has worked in every area of my life. And that is, um, I'll say it and then I'll explain what it looks like. Do you understand it? Do you agree with it? And do you like it? Do you understand it? Do you agree with it? And do you like it? So, for instance, when we needed to get the business back on track, one of the imperatives was profit. We had to, we had to make more money to be able to make the investment that we needed in professional development and all the stuff that we wanted to do. And so a really hard choice that we had to make was are we going to get slowly profitable or are we going to get profitable in a very short period of time on a quick turn? And if we were going to get profitable in a very short period of time, it was going to require us to lay people off. That is a really, it's a really crappy day. It's a really crappy choice. It's, it was like, you know, both of them were not going to be fun, but we made the decision to get profitable within a six-week period of time, which meant that we were going to have to lay people off. So um, you never want to do that as a leader. It's a very bad day, but sometimes not doing it is a worse decision than doing it. So we made the decision to lay some people off. And when I needed to tell the company about that, um, I used this framework of, do you understand it? Do you like it? And do you agree with it? Do you agree with it? Do you like it? In that order. So the first was to say, I want to outline for you. Let's imagine we're all in um, like a Harvard business school and we're doing a case review. And so I'm going to outline for you the facts of the story. And I was like, here was the, you know, here's our clients and here's their average spend. And here's been our profitability as a business. These are our goals. And this was the cash that we need in the business to be able to invest in these things that we know are important for our long-term you know, ability to compete in the market and to get great talent and to pay you what you deserve and to bonus. Also, like the, this is the story. Here's the story. Do you understand it? And we spend time on just, do you understand it? Do you understand the numbers? Do you know what they mean? Do you know where they come from? Do you know what we mean by this word? Does that make sense? Attrition? Do you understand it? You are not involved. Just imagine we're studying this. Do you understand it? And as a result of this information, the decision is that we've let go of uh, like six people. Mm -hmm. Okay. The second is, do you agree with it? So imagine 
You are me. Imagine you're a leader in that situation. Given those state of facts, would you make the same or a different decision? So again, I, I laid out for them. We had two choices to make. We could have tried to get to profitability slowly. We thought that would take us six to nine months. Or we could get to profitability quickly and it would take us six weeks. Here's why. What would you choose? If you were in my seat, given this set of facts, what would you choose? Do you agree with my choice? And then the third is put yourself back in your own chair. And do you like it? And what I would tell them is like, I understand the story. I understand the facts. It's my job to do that. I agree with the choice that I've made naturally, but I don't like it. I don't like that I had to let people go. I don't like that this is going to you know, take us a while for our culture to rebuild trust in this area. I don't like that we have to go have all these you know, conversations with clients that some other people aren't going to be. I don't like any of that. And so we could like unite in the fact that this is crappy, but we understand it and we agree that this is probably the best choice for the company long-term. And so getting you aligned and what I was finding was happening is I'd be telling people what happened and they would say, essentially, I don't like it. And it's like, well, I don't like it either, but I still (laughs) need to be in the situation and I I can give a chance to educate. So that framework has been very helpful in meeting people intellectually with what is happening and why so that they don't feel like this is random. They don't feel like this is just some harebrained thing that I came up with. And it allows us to teach them what the game that we're in, which is business. So do you understand it? Do you agree with it? Do you like it? That has been a very helpful framework for that initial conversation of like, hey, we've had to make a bad choice and let's get on the same page here. My final question to you before we wrap up here would be, tell me about a person or some people who helped you get from this, you know, through this whole story, from point A to point Z, uh, from the very tough situation you were in to, you know, to where you are right now. Tell me about somebody or some people or a group that helped you get here. With one caveat, it needs to be somebody that the watchers and listeners can follow and get inspired by uh, so that it can help them make similar changes too. Um, I would say the work of Jim Collins has been wildly um, informative to the way that I see the world. Um, uh, In particular, Great by Choice, that book was life-changing for me. so yeah, that would be, I would say Jim Collins' work is probably the one I follow the most closely as far as like published authors. Okay, awesome. Okay, that, that was brief. I'm going to throw one, one more in there. Uh, we don't talk about these maybe a lot. Tell me about one tool that you can't live without, you know, in your work. Um, I'm going to answer this maybe a little differently than you're intending it. Um, we do open book financials as a business. Um, really, we're off the work of Jack Stack and his book, The Great Game of Business. There's a big consulting uh, business behind it now. We've just done that ourselves. We've not hired their consultants to come in. Maybe as we scale, that would be more, um, uh, just that would work more. We've, we've just, I think, been too small for it. But that transparency with the company um, is a really big part of the trust equation for us. And I would not know how to lead without that tool. Excellent. Awesome. I'm, I'm sure that will be very inspiring for our listeners. Okay, then. Final question. You know, where can people follow you? Where should they click? Where should they go? Where should they sign up to stay in touch with you? So I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. 
If you just want a general leadership, an insight into what I'm learning and how I'm developing as a leader and kind of just learning about the world, um, LinkedIn is certainly a place to follow me. And then also on my podcast, it is called Scared Confident. And that content is really focused towards two career families that are trying to figure out how to live, in my words, a life of and. Um, And so, yeah, follow me uh, anywhere you can get podcasts or audio. um, You can find Scared Confident. I wouldn't have let you go from here without mentioning Scared Confident. I started listening to it as I was preparing for this conversation, being honest, but I'm going to listen to it a, a bunch more because it's it honestly was very inspiring. Well, Tiffany, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. I got so engrossed in the story, I almost forgot about kind of the whole third act of the pod, but no matter. Thank you so <laughs> much, so, so much for, for being on the show and sharing this. This was awesome. Thank you, Kuba. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Agency Breakthrough. It's really cool that you stuck around till the very end. If you like this, don't forget to subscribe to Agency Breakthrough for more episodes. Just search for Agency Breakthrough Podcast. We're on YouTube and a bunch of other platforms. Just use your favorite one and follow us and subscribe. See you next time.